Yeah, you can say whenever about, you're ready. How about now? Do I start now? Yeah, right now. Now? Or, or, or then. How about now? How about then? You can start, start <laughs> then. Hi, my name is Ferns, and this is the Massacast. Ta-da! Ta-da! Hi, and thank you for downloading another Massacast. Um, let's see, what's new? I was mugged uh, in the last two weeks, since the last episode. I was mugged! On my way to work, just doing my own thing. In the morning, some guy just comes up to me and, hey, can I borrow some money for a second? Yeah, sure. Let me reach in my pocket. And then he sticks up and shut. Anyway, long story short, uh, he got my cash, which was uh, not much. I only had 20 bucks on me, which is whatever. Uh, I mean, I've been just feeling pissed off at the universe since. and uh, But then this morning, I get up and someone from Australia donated five bucks to the Massacast. So, I'm only down 15. There you go. Uh, thank you, uh, Australians. donate more than any other group of people. Is there a huge economic crazy boom? I don't know what it is, but thank you, Australia. Uh, yeah. So, you know, asshat with a knife mugging me. But other than that, things are going pretty good. Today is the anniversary of the day Saad and I had our first date. So, happy anniversary. Yay! Uh, what's coming up in the in the future? We've got uh, our friend em- Evermore is back in a couple weeks. Uh, did an interview with Midori. Kevin Allison uh, back again uh, in, the, in, the, in the coming episodes. Really good conversation. And yeah, in this episode, it's Tara Indiana, who uh, saw it actually uh, ran into her and uh, they were talking and so I said you got to do a, a podcast and, and sure enough, she came over. We recorded one and. Here it is, a conversation with Tara and Deanna. I, I miss the wildest time, uh, slightly before me, which is, I, I, I heard about, I remember being like 16 and being at the Rocky Horror Show and hearing about the piss pool at the uh, Hellfire Club. So that, that would be the wildest time? We're that recording would... now, by the way. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, so you're saying you missed that? I would have said, hey, I, I didn't miss that. No, I'm, it's I'm, a I'm little... very lucky that I wasn't <laughs> around for that. It was a little before my time. But yeah, it was um, before the AIDS scare. It's when all the, the sex clubs were just woo. Right. You know, so the Hellfire Club, I remember hearing about it and that there was a piss pool where people would just lie in the pool. And uh, just whoever wanted would just come over and pee on you. And there were gangbangs and uh, Plato's Retreat. All that stuff's before my time. So now You hear about that stuff, but usually it's from my gay friends that it's still going on. But you were saying this was in in the gay straight by. It was an everyone type of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. No, this was the the straight community too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I guess in, in that instance, we did miss something. We yeah. did. Yeah. We did. Yeah, I, I've heard. Um, I've heard of like the Hellfire Club and people saying that you know. What, what was the dirtiest at the time? Was it the Hellfire? Hellfire. Yeah. Was it the dirtiest? Yeah, absolutely. I'm saying, I'm saying dirty. Sanitary wise. Oh, I thought you meant doesn't filthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess when I was thinking, because every time I ever hear stories about uh-huh. back then, it's like you couldn't even walk into paddles or, you know, you'd have to make, make sure you wore shoes you weren't happy, you know, yes. didn't care about. And that was really funny because the wankers uh, would come into Hellfire and they'd be completely naked and walking around and jerking off with these little tennis sneakers. This and is before be they all... did it on the subway. Exactly. Now yeah. they, they, they would just isolate themselves there. Yeah, absolutely. But what, what you called it the golden age mm-hmm. of kink. In, to me. In, to you in New York City. Yeah. What, what was it about? Was it because you had so many options out there? And Yes. I, it was a lot of things. I mean, it was, it was just starting to come into uh, 
sort of social acceptance. Not not totally, and it still isn't. Right. But um, it was it was starting to you were starting to see it a lot in um, movies and in hearing about it in music, and it was getting it was when it first started getting mainstream. Um, so there were a, a lot of cl- clubs that were open to the public, um, and there were also a lot of dungeons. When I started the Den of Iniquity, there were I think thirty. 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 Why why so few now? Is it because the crackdown? Is it because the Both. internet? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think um, uh, there are a lot of social factors and legal factors. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there are a lot of legal problems, as I'm sure you know, in New York now. So for legal reasons, um, there's not much left. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think women are much more free with their sexuality, that they're much more sex- sexually liberated. And I think, um, you know, uh, S&M, as far as sessions go and that kind of activity, um, a lot of it was married guys um, who uh, could not open up to their significant others and express themselves that way. I, I know people who would say it's the same way, though. There's still a lot of married guys. It still is, but um, men are getting it at home now. Right. I feel strongly about that. And I think that if you're going to be successful in this industry that you have to see where the emerging markets are. And uh, it's not married men. I think women are going to be the new market, couples. And I think there's going to be a huge market coming out of the Middle East um, because that's most of, like, my new sign-ups and my new fans and people that are approaching me um, are from all over the Middle East, which I find absolutely just so courageous. Well, and and it begs the question because I I know – I've, I've talked to a few uh, pros who've gone overseas mm-hmm. uh, to like Dubai, mm-hmm. and you know these are these are areas where the guys are running. They're, they're now starting to express themselves in BDSM. Yes, but of course, women can't drive cars in some of these countries. Yes, though, you know. Yeah, and they and yet they want a woman in power. Yes, and it's almost like they all want it, but they just are afraid to admit it to one another type of thing. It's really ridiculous. No, it's amazing because, like, with my Facebook page, um, uh, whenever I get new sign-ups and new followers, um, they're uh, from the Middle East, not just men, but women, too. Mm. And I just think that that's so courageous because I would think that just friending me on Facebook in some countries would could probably get you killed. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> you know? um, so I think that that's really courageous, yeah. I, I, every now and again, I'll get an email from a listener who's uh, in the Middle East mm-hmm. saying that this is the, their only outlet for kink. Wow. So your voice right now is, is still helping yes. other people from the Middle East. Now right. they know about another outlet by, yes. by hearing your voice say absolutely. it right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I also think... Uh, that in the 90s it was so prevalent and maybe the golden age then too is because you had to meet in person. That yes. was the only way you could get your... There was in- a mystique. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a lot of people talk about that. There was a mystique. I mean, you had to go to a lot of trouble if you were a submissive at that time uh, to, to see a mistress. Um, you know, it was print advertising and um, if you weren't in like New York, Chicago or LA, you were just kind of fucked. Yeah. You know, and you had to like travel to, you know, and um, I used to do... A huge amount of mail order business. I used to, you know, use panties, use socks, uh, postal training, and the letters that the submissives would send you were just so adoring, you know, because, you know, I mean, they all they had of you was just like, you know, these black and white newspaper things and just the fantasy, you know, and they'd write you these incredible, you know, sonnets and stories, and they'd have to send a tribute, and they would send cash, you know, in the mail. And, um, you know, they would send away for, um, you know, everything from your cigarette butts to, uh, like, I'm actually an expert in, in how to ship scat. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. 
dry Lots ice, medical bag. waste. That's legal. Really? <laughs> well, you're going to say this is the largest stool sample. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what you're right. doing. <laughs> it's actually yeah. several stool, stool samples yeah. in one giant. But we used to do a pretty brisk, uh, you know, brisk. Holy cow. Yeah. Dry ice. Yeah, dry ice. I actually did, uh, recently I did one uh, uh, to, I guess, is this okay to say? Um, you can don't give the actual address. No, no, city no Hawaii. Or, Hawaii. Okay, well, yeah. that's still vague enough, right? Okay. Maybe it's Tom Selleck. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, that, and then when microwave technology came in, then they could just, you know, heat it up so that... Oh, wow. TMI? <laughs> no, no it's, uh, it's... Hey, listen, this is not for me. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to put a little warning or something. Yeah. Um, but that's very interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Was there any anything unique? Because every now and again, I'll hear uh, a friend when doing these interviews, someone will say that they had someone who shipped them uh, Barbie dolls that they wanted them to step on and then and send back or something weird. Well, you know, yeah. weird, out of the ordinary, maybe yeah. is the right phrase. Not that I can think of. It was pretty, I mean, what to us would be straightforward, you yeah. know, basically items of the mistress's essence, you know. Yeah. Used, you know, although we used to... <laughs> I used, with the panties, I used to order uh, offer original recipe and extra crusty. <laughs> so I always had kind of a strange sense of humor, you know. There are also things you could get away with if in, in certain kinks that you can't get away with now. Yeah. I've heard a story about a guy who used to go outside of women's shoe stores, mm-hmm. and he would basically buy women new shoes, just mm-hmm. random women. Yes. Yeah. And women are like, this is great. Yes. Some guy's in promotion. He's just buying new shoes. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, of course, he was just fulfilling his kink because he'd want to smell the used shoes or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but now you really, he, he couldn't get away with that because people are more aware. Oh, this guy's just clearly has yeah, a just, foot fetish or yeah. a shoe fetish or whatever. Yeah. Um, I used to pick up uh, foot slaves in Bergdorf Goodman's all the time. Really? Yeah. How did that happen? Um, that was pretty easy. Um, I would go there and I would just... Uh, start trying on different shoes that I like. And you know how they have those little angled foot mirrors? Mm-hmm. Well, when you're looking at your feet and you look down, I would just wait until I saw a pair of little beady eyes in the mirror. And then I knew I had one. <laughs> <laughs> how long did you have to... Did you go specifically to... Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I was also shoe shopping. I mean, you know, it was a win-win for me. Right. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I would go and find uh, foot slaves in right. the shoe department at Bergdorf Goodman's. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. unique. So you called it the golden age. Do you consider it better now, worse now? But the golden age makes it sound like you're pining for the old Actually, no. no. I mean, like a lot of people, I mean, it was, it was um, because, I mean, well, you have to realize how much it changed from when I started doing sessions to, you know, uh, about the golden age to me is like about 97 to maybe 2003. Mm-hmm. So, um, what was uh, so when I first got into S and M, the late the latex the latex clothing, it was like a t shirt or shorts uh, that came in like a ziploc bag and it was black. Right. Yeah. That that was it. Right, that right. was what we had. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I tease people. You know, back in my day, we didn't have these fancy violet wands. Yeah. We had a dry sole battery, and we were happy to have it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we had clothespins, and we were happy to have them. You know, yeah. I mean, I, there was, you know, um, you know. So that's how it was. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, these latex uh, and and leather makers, you know, Damask and. All these companies started coming in, in this just incredible yeah. stuff, and there were the clubs, 
And it was like, you know, it was like, it was really a thing to go out. I mean, you would, uh, you know, everybody wanted to, you know, look their best, you know. You know, it was a bit of a fashion show, which it still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so in New York, I think, than in L.A. And, um... Like, I remember Avalon, like, she was famous because she would change wardrobe, like, three times at an event. Really? Yeah. It was always about outdoing, you know? Wow. And when you arrived, you were really like a celebrity. Um, I mean, you would you would walk in. I used to... I, I have a fur fetish, so I tried to wear my mink when I could. And there's an experience. You shouldn't really wear a fur unless you can afford to drag it. So that was how I used to make my entrance. I'd come in with the mink. I'd throw it on the ground and drag it. <laughs> and... Um, and then slaves come, 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 all coming over to you. Oh, mistress, can I get you a drink? Can I get you a cigarette? Can I get you something to eat? You know, and you just kind of wave them off if you weren't interested. And if you were interested, you say, yeah, you know, and people would be taking pictures like paparazzi. So it was like being a celebrity except without being a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, and maybe it's because there was more shooing of slaves yeah. than than yes you can now it's sort of it's oh yeah they'd been, have to they'd line, there'd be a line for your feet right there'd be they, like 20 or 30 guys lined up for your feet you describe it like a scene from a movie or something it was I mean because and, and at the time you had Paddles Hellfire and The Vault and they were all in the same area mm-hmm. um, and everybody thought when it was only paddles left. That was going to be great for paddles, but it wasn't because I'm, I'm sure if you know anything about nightclubs, it's better if there's a few night few yeah, clubs yeah. in the area because people like to club hop. And so if you're thinking about going out uh, and you know that you can stop off at Hellfire and then the vault and then paddles, if there's nothing going on in one place, you're more likely to go out than if it's just paddles. Right. And then briefly, there was a restaurant called La Nouvelle Justine, which was like this S&M restaurant. And it was right around the corner from my first dungeon. So you had these three clubs and this was all in Chelsea, like, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, we used to perform there for, like, celebrities and bridge and tunnel crowd. Yeah. And people just came to, you know, to see the freak show and also to uh, the chocolate shoe. That was big. The chocolate, chocolate shoe dessert. Chocolate shoe dessert. Chocolate shoe dessert. Yeah. The the, chocolate when shoe you said dessert. chocolate shoot, I thought, well, that's something. No, no. <laughs> Gonna have to FedEx that instead of no, 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 no. They had the chocolate, and and I remember I, would, I performed for like Joan Rivers, and I, I you know, it was crazy. Because I, I heard about this this yeah. restaurant. Can you explain like what what exactly happened? It was like it was French. Yeah. Um, it, it was, um, and so the the cuisine was French. The food was actually pretty good. Um, they had the usual limitations that anything that serves liquor or food would. So there was no genital nudity. So um, most of the shows were you know flogging, bondage, you know, uh, fire play, you mm-hmm. know, stuff that would be dramatic, but. Uh, that wouldn't be a danger to people's food. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, um, and um, I mean, I remember at that time, like, I don't remember which late night talk show it was, but one of them, I don't know whether it was, I, I, I don't want to make a mistake, but one of the major late night talk shows uh, broadcasted one night from the vault. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was that, like, it was sort of like that. Uh, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, it was very that. Um, and the dungeons were very competitive because what happens was um, when I first got in, all the dungeons were mob controlled. So you really had to be tough to have a place at that time, especially to be a woman and have a place mm-hmm. because they would shake you down. Can you describe shaking down? I've seen it in movies. Is it just like the movies? They come in and like, well, you guys should pay for it. They usually it's really a shame you. if something bad happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, usually it starts with phone calls. Um, they usually don't uh, show up in person because uh, you don't give out your address and, you know, it's not as easy to find someone's yeah. address now. So it usually starts with some kind of phone calls and threats and stuff like that. So how do you handle that? When someone calls I you... I told them to kill me. <laughs> they were like... 
Uh, we don't, okay. We're dealing with someone we haven't dealt with before here. Yeah, I told them to, you know. Uh, I mean, because this is, you know, I, right. you know, that, that's really all you can do, you know. That's and, yeah. You can either pay or you have to come back with bigger balls than they do. Yeah, they, exactly. Right. You know, so I mean, I was able to fend through that, but I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of people wouldn't have been able to, you know. Yeah. Um. So I mean, you know, and it was exciting at the time, you know, like you get that rush from being. Um, tough yeah you know um but would i want to do that now <laughs> i can live without that now. right 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 i can live without that now um you know so uh yes it was very exciting uh yes it was very uh, uh it was sort of like the wild west would you say 30 houses i'm thinking eight of which were good so, so, so this, I was just going to say, was there like a friendly competition? Was there a big yes. rivalry? Was there, no. no? Um, it was actually much friendlier in, in, in those times. Um, there was actually a ruling in 1993, which was what made S&M legal in New York uh, at that time. And um, that was interesting because before that, um, dungeons were really in a gray area of the law. So um, most of the dungeons... Uh, that were before 93 did offer um, hand jobs, um, forced French or queening. Um, not usually full service, but I remember those two things. And they would be like on a menu, like if you wanted it, they called it a manual release. <laughs> it was like an extra 50. And some people did it and some people didn't. Yeah. Um, but. That right, was before 93. It was before 93. And I remember right after that case in 93, all of a sudden people that I had just seen, you know, I, I just saw you giving... You know, right, right. All of a sudden, no body worship above the knee. Yeah, yeah. You know, all of a sudden they got really serious, you know. Um, not that I'm endorsing hand jobs. Sure. I, I, I don't find um, them to be... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um Dominant. Mm-hmm. I feel I, if I was going to do that, I'd feel like oh, slaving away at someone's cock. That doesn't seem dominant to me. Although I know some people do. I've been on the receiving end of plenty of dominant hand jobs. Yeah. That's really nice for you. It, it is very nice for yeah. me, and sometimes terrible. I mean, okay. it's, a, it's a that's a whole other story, though. But yeah, um, yeah, I've uh, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of stories about back then as well about how. It was uh, a revolving door. You had a few few doms that mm-hmm. was, were in, at the house, and then you know, like two or three core people, and then yeah. you had like five or six who were always kind of Come, coming, coming and in and going. Yeah, yeah. What? And I've heard about what it is today that kind of separates the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Mm-hmm. How could you tell? Okay, this person is going to be. This person is, is actually into this and is probably going to stick around for a little while. I was one of the first that was. When I, when I came into uh, the way that I came into the business, there was an expression when I first came into the business that you couldn't be a great mistress unless you'd first been uh, an escort for five years, and that's mostly the way the business was. Um, you would start in the mainstream sex industry, um, and you'd start to specialize. And uh, before dungeons, and the first dungeon in New York that I know of was Belle de Jour's, as far as the way we understand them today. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, uh, there were brothels that would have one S and M room, and there'd be like you know one or two girls that did that you know um so i mean that changed uh very quickly uh when it was decriminalized uh and uh also you know when bands like nine inch nails and uh, marilyn manson and all the, that that kind of music started coming out because i used to when i first started the dungeon i didn't uh, take mistresses under 23 because i felt 
they didn't have the sexual maturity. You know, I mean, they probably hadn't had a decent orgasm yet. How are you going to control a sixty-year-old executive when you haven't had a decent orgasm yet? You know, I just I didn't oh, see. Oh, if, if I had a nickel every time I said. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, um, but then I I just wasn't getting people over twenty-three anymore. I was getting uh, eighteen and nineteen-year-olds that had been seeing already for about five years in their personal life. Yeah. And so I had to let go of that, much the way I had to let go of my no tattoos rule. You had a no tattoos <laughs> I rule. I did no tattoos. Just did you personally find them unsightly, or no, no? I just, I, I just knew that it inhibited your, that you made more money if you had a girl next door type look. Oh, really? Oh. Absolutely, absolutely. And if, for for men that are over forty, I think that's still true. I mean, I had, I have, I've had like my big, my big clients, the ones that had a lot of money, would specifically say no, you know, no tattoos, no tattoos, no tattoos. They wanted that girl next door. They wanted, and I think that that goes back to uh, people want to fantasize about the people that are around them. Yeah. You know, their their secretary, their boss, the the librarian. That you know, yeah, um, you know, because men basically are just excited all the time, and they're just imagining that every woman on the train is a dominatrix, right? Anyway, You're right? You know, so that kind of adds to that sort of uh, fantasy or that mystique so how did you go about finding them and that's interesting um because this is your house i mean you're, yeah. you're you're running the show so i started on my own um pretty much just by accident um um i i guess my first thing that i remember is i was with a lover and while we were having sex he started sucking on my toes and it drove me wild right. and like if he had never sucked on my toes i don't know that I would have ever discovered that I had a foot. I mean, maybe I would have, but you know, I wouldn't have thought to tell someone to suck on my toes. Sure, sure. Um, you know, and I was very controlling always in my relationships. Like when I dated, my my rules for boyfriends in high school was: I do what I want, when I want, how I want to do it, and you do what I want, when I want, and how I want you to do it. What's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. You yeah. know. And I just used to train him like that. And I remember, like one of my. Uh, uh, one of my first subs that I didn't even realize it was a sub, it, you know, someone I was dating. And I mean, I had him trained to basically come to me when he came to the house to pick me up, he would just give me the car keys in his wallet. And that was just how it was, you know, right. <laughs> just open the door and then you'd the car keys in the right. wallet, you know? Um, so it was sort of like a natural, and I think I didn't realize what, I think when I officially realized, Oh, this is what I am was like, I somehow wound up in the hellfire club, you know? And I sort of, Oh, now, now you're exposed to the yeah. possibilities, right? Yeah, it was. I wound up at the Hellfire Club. Also, I was I was doing phones for escort services, and I knew that there was no sex on S and M calls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I thought, well, maybe I could do that. You know, um, and um, you know, uh, so it, it wasn't like today. Um, I mean, today um, I get people who come to interview at the dungeon who have always wanted to do this. This is because they, they've had, they've had exposure, whether it's in a they know what it in is a movie or yeah. yeah. You know, and that's that's what we look for. We, we've always only hired lifestyle people. We've, we've that's always been sort of uh, main thing at the dungeon is that they had to have a they had to either be in the fetish life or have a serious interest in the fetish lifestyle. Um, you so, know. what is the uh, what was the litmus test? What was the uh, shibboleth? I guess you could say when you would say to someone, "Hey." Uh, are you lifestyle? How did you know that they were lifestyle instead of just Well, sometimes lying? they didn't even know that they were lifestyle. So when they would come in for interviews, um, pretty much like an interrogation, you ask them questions that don't seem intimidating, yeah. that don't seem to be about anything, that are kind of tells for you because yeah. you've been in the business for a while. Um, so even though they might not know 
the techniques, you can kind of, you'll be able to have yeah. a sense of, okay, this person at least has this inside them. Yeah. Right. I mean, you look at their posture, you know, how they carry themselves, you know, and look, you're not always right. I mean, I've had a number of mistresses with me over the years that, you know, when they started, I thought, oh, this, this can be a superstar, you know, and then I've had other mistresses who, uh, I wouldn't have like someone else interviewed them and had it been me, they, they wouldn't have been a den of iniquity mistress. Yeah, yeah. And they turned out to be a top mistress. So, I mean, you're not always right. Yeah. Um, and you do have to keep yourself open uh, to different possibilities. Um, but um, there's a certain type of mistress that's kind of, I call them savants, and, and they only come around about every five years that are just incredibly gifted, incredibly talented. I mean, you have, you know, in a, in a multi-mistress dungeon, you're going to have, um, you always have about two or three mistresses that are just doing most of the sessions, mm -hmm. um, which is in, in the business world in general. You know, they say that, um, what is it? Uh, I think 20% of workers do 80% of work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so those don't come along that often, but when you meet them, you know almost right away. They've got like a certain charisma, a certain energy, um, and a certain passion for honing their craft yeah. uh, and perfectionism, which is unique to them. And they just learn faster. So when you first started, uh, you I remember you, you were in your blog. You've got these excerpts from your book. We should mm -hmm. say that you're, when, when is the book scheduled to come out, or do you have a, a date yet? For the um, probably we want to coordinate it with the release of uh, with the with the twentieth anniversary. So that's what we're shooting for. Oh, okay, uh, but we don't have. But there'll, there'll be a link to the to yes, and then everything will be on the website here yeah. too. So, uh, but you mentioned. Uh, how you had all these different rooms. How did you get set up? You have to have capital to start. Did you have an investor? Did you just save? Did you, was it just was it cheaper in Chelsea back then? Or No. Um, I did it the way most entrepreneurs do. Like A lot of people think in order to start a business that you've got to get the money together and then open the business. But in reality, that's not how almost anyone does it. That's not how Apple started. If they waited till they had enough money to do it, they never would have done it. Absolutely. So, I mean, um, I've been mistressing for a while, and I had a couple of big fish, which you should have if you've been mistressing for a while. And um, so I, I had like four thousand um, dollars, you know, at the time, and uh, there was, uh, and I was looking for space, and the space that I was looking for, I think I needed seventy eight hundred to get it, and I only had the four thousand. But I said, ah, fuck it, you know, and I gave them the money, <laughs> and I crossed my fingers and I prayed, and somehow I got the rest of the money together, and um, I basically sold memberships. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I had uh, I financed it with like we had silver. Well, I think we had like bronze, silver, and gold membership. Um, like you know, five, ten thousand, fifty. And we would I would just sell these memberships, and that's pretty much how I, 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 because uh, I, I literally, you know, I mean, I really didn't have the money to do it at all. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right, sure. I didn't have any equipment, nothing. Right, I mean, there was nothing. I had an empty. An empty apartment. That's in, in fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. How many rooms did you have? My first place had two, you know, just two session rooms. Sure, um, but that's that's not nothing, you know. No, uh, but uh, you know, it was it was uh, small in comparison to spaces I've had since then. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, it took me a little while to get it together. You know, um, but uh, it was uh, well, I learned a lot in that place. I probably learned a lot in that place. Like what? Give me like you mean uh, just how to run your own well, business or, or well, a bunch of all this, a bunch of stuff. Um, I think when you, when you start a dungeon or your own business, you create a space that you would want to be a part of, yeah. thinking that other people are like you, which is not the case. Um, you know, when I was at Dungeons, I didn't care for what was out there because um, I wanted to really focus on like you know reading and practicing and honing my craft. 
And so I didn't think that mistresses should have to do things like cleaning and chores and all that stuff because it took away from their time where they could be honing their skills. But I didn't realize that not everybody was ambitious like that. Yeah. Um, and um, when you make it too easy, um, they don't appreciate what goes into the dungeon. Um, so those are really necessary for most people. And like, little things like um, my first dungeon was all candlelit. And I had a bearskin rug. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Uh, so no electric. You would, you would think you would think that most people would know not to do a hot wax scene on a bearskin rug. Okay. So things like that. I had a room called the Fur Vault. It was right. all fur. Yeah, that's what you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that didn't work out that well for me. You know, I mean, it was beautiful. No, it did not work out for the bear. Yeah. Um, you know, so like uh, my next place is all like glass and steel, like, you know, <laughs> just anything that you could like Windex and wipe down, and that is industry. And it's what was amazing to me was no matter how indestructible you think you've made this dungeon, no matter how mistress proof you think you've made it, somebody will figure out a way to break it. <laughs> um, so you know, so in that way, it was a learning experience. You also mentioned something uh, in in the little excerpts from your from your book that you have in your blog. Uh, how you realized you were a sadist, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. It sounded yeah. like you were do, you had been doing sessions, you had, uh, had experienced some, you know, giving people pain, but you it really didn't strike a chord with you that much. No. What happened that that changed? Um, well, a pain had been up until that point something they administered for correction or to discipline or to teach. Um, I didn't feel bad about it. Right. I mean, there was nothing like that, but it didn't get me aroused. It didn't get me excited. And um, I was doing like, you know, because I think you sort of develop a shtick as a mistress. Like, basically, you start off a certain way, then you improvise, and then usually end a certain way. I mean, it does vary, but you do develop a shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you're dealing with people that maybe you're playing with for the first time. And so I was doing my shtick. It was a two-mistress session. Um, guy was lying on the ground. Um, I was standing over. And, you know, this is before they had fancy equipment. You know, I didn't even have bondage tables in my first place. And um, so I, 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 I always did enjoy, like, grabbing their balls uh, with my really long nails and, like, twisting them. And, you know, I, I did enjoy doing that. And so I was doing that, and tears started to, f- to flow. Down to, I guess I was doing it so hard. And yeah. I got really excited. And then I realized I was a sadist. That was the first time. So, some people, when they have that realization... They are thrilled, mm-hmm. and some people are thrilled, but at the same time, a little scared. Sort of like, what does this mean? Right. Or, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. Why do I like hurting, right. make, making people feel bad? To, yeah. Uh, and some people, they're just so elated, but they get such a rush out of it, that even though they're a nice person, mm-hmm. that, that sort of was kind of in the, back, in the background. Well, mm-hmm. how was, what was your reaction to it? It was just like, more? Um, I mean, I wasn't bothered by it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, because everything was so underground and there weren't even words for certain things, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that, at that, you know, that it was like a crystallization where I had this epiphany and realized I was a sadist. Yeah. But it changed the way my sessions were and it changed the reasons that I was hurting people, you know. Um, I started hurting people for pleasure, you know, for my amusement, for my arousal. Um, so your shtick changed? My shtick changed. Yeah. Well, would it be like, okay, how can I get this person in that headspace that gets me off? Well, how does that work? I have an expression. If 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 I've stopped hurting you, then I've lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I uh, you, you only hurt the ones you love. Yeah. Um, I have to I have to like be somewhat emotionally invested in someone 
to want to inflict pain on them. I, I'm not interested in just like going up to someone on the sidewalk and clocking them in the face. Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't do anything for me. Sure. Um, so there's a certain uh, intensity. I, I call it cruel love. You know, um, I think it's any, anyone can be brutal, um, but I think it takes effort to be cruel. It's the context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's also a subtlety to cruelty. I mean, b- brutality is just like taking a baseball bat and, you know. Right. Cruelty is like, you know, getting into someone's soul and crushing it, you know. And this is, this is why uh, the mob had no, no luck with you is because they were just brutal, and, but yet you were cruel and clearly one trumps right. the other. Yeah. And that's how it worked out. Yeah, yeah. It worked out okay. What do you think? I mean, I was going to ask you about this, about just the scene in general between New York and L.A. Uh, it's it is different. Um, there are like some weird differences. Um, there are some weird differences. Like um, like in New York, there were very, very, very specific um, traffic patterns. Times that people came in. To say, you had you had your lunchtime crowd. You had your after work crowd. Um, then you had your um, you had like the eleven to two a.m. And then if you were 24-7, like I was, uh, you'd get the after-the-bars guys like between 4 and 7 o'clock right. in the morning. Right. You know? uh, but in L.A., the only two predictable rushes are 10 a.m. to noon and 10 p.m. to midnight. And, you know, and I, couldn't, I couldn't figure this out for the longest time. And then I realized it's because everyone's trying to beat the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Okay. That's it. That's that the only reason. That explains it. That explains you know. it. You know, so I mean, um, I f- and because everything is so spread out, I find that there are more multiple-hour players in LA. Like in New York, you'll just like you'll just pop in for a half hour, an hour session here, there. You know, and you could you have these guys that'll go to like different dungeons. You know, every day. You know, yeah. they'll go to this dungeon this day, another dungeon the other day. Um, you know, but it's you can't really do that in LA because it's so spread out. So they sort of have to plan it out more. So. Um, what is in New York probably one hour, two hours is usually what people start with in L.A. Yeah. You know, because they got to drive there, there. Yeah. they got to park, you know. So they stay longer, but they don't session as frequently. And do you, do you notice the type of play? Every I have a friend who she claims something like I can't remember what what part of the country it is, but like in the South they just never do foot fa- or whatever. Like like the you know Alabama for some crazy reason they're really into ears, yeah. you know, or, or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. Is there something unique like that? In- I'm sure there is. I mean, I, I mean, I've had a lot of people disagree with me about this. I, I think that the players in L.A. are actually a bit heavier, um, but their etiquette is not very good. Like, they, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, they don't. They don't understand. You know, yes, Mister Snow. You know, they they don't like. They're just like. Oh, so what's up? You know, they're just like really like you they're know, more chill. They're more yeah, they're Whereas, more casual, and it's like right. What do you, you know? Uh, what are you doing? You know, like they'll. I, I'm trying to. Oh, jeez. As you wish, man. Yeah, it, it's no, very that know. you know, and it's like you know, New York is much more formal. Now, I mean, even, even within the two cultures, you're going to have you know people who are less and more formal. Yeah. But it's really like they're much more casual there, so that takes New Yorkers back. Yeah. You know. But the type of play they're into is, I think, just as heavy and similar. Um, I, I've seen over the years that fetishes go in trends. Uh, really? Yeah. Is it and, because the well, go, go ahead and finish your thought. Well, I think it's 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 in response to soci- socioeconomic political factors. Um, when I got into S and M, it was like depending on when you consider I started because it wasn't a clear like I went to a dungeon and started. Yeah. Um, 
late 80s, early 90s. Like, the big fetishes then were um, cross-dressing and uh, foot worship shoes, garter belt stockings, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That was like your garden variety slave was, you know, your foot slave cross-dresser. And um, I think that was a reaction to changing gender roles. You know, that was just when women were starting to become executives, first starting to come into the workplace. Um, and I think men were confused about that, and they needed to work it out and see. Uh, and, you know, foot fetish has just always been big, and I think it always will be big. But I think it was particularly big because the only thing that looked the same to them probably uh, as it had before were the shoes. Right. You know, otherwise women were wearing these business suits, but the shoes were still like, you know, the stilettos. Sure. It was something familiar. Um, then, like, when AIDS got really big, that's when uh, scat and golden showers just got exploded. And I think it was a reaction to, I don't want to wear, I don't want to wear latex all over my body and yeah. I don't want to be safe anymore. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, I, I, you know, you know, because there was really a sense like when it started to reach the vanilla population that like you had to exchange contracts before you had sex with someone and you had to be covered with a condom from head to toe and people just wanted to do something dangerous and risky, as yeah. risky as possible. Um, so that became big then, as did uh, very heavy, heavy medical and blood sports. Anything like unsanitary, anything that was like risky that way just became huge. Um, and then more, more recently, what's the tr- Oh, now more recently, like right now, chastity is huge. And I was trying to figure it out, and I finally did. It's because men can have sex now. Like, before, it was like, you, 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 it wasn't as easy for men to get sex, yeah. you know? Now, since they can have it, they, they want to be put in a position where they're denied. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, That's so, fascinating. Yeah, so it's always a response to, you know, certain socio... I mean, it's, it's part nature and part nurture. I mean, I, I believe you're born this way. You're, you know, it's a sexual orientation. Um, you know, but what, what's the expression? Uh, genetics is the gun, and environment is the bullet. Oh something, yeah, heard, something something yeah. like that. You know, I mean, you still have to have the environment. You know, it's sort of a combination. So, if you had, if you were uh, a, a betting person, if mm-hmm. you were to wager, what would be the next? Any guesses? Oh yeah, and it's already started. Eighties. People wearing 80s clothing, the capizios, the leg warmers. So, so the, leg warmers and scenes? Uh, yes. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it started because spandex has become very big recently. Yeah. Oh, and like here's another example because basically most of the people that session usually, although this has changed, are between 30 and 60 because that's usually when you can afford to. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, although it started changing a while ago that they, the slaves started getting younger and younger. And I started having to proof people when they came in for sessions. And I remember thinking, would you save up your allowance for that? I mean, what? Well, because they're getting <laughs> more money? exposure earlier, yeah. right? Because porn's everywhere. You can you yeah. can find... When I was first exposed, I mean, I knew I was uh, kink and, and I was submissive from a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't have a name for it, I didn't mm-hmm. know it was... Even before I knew what sex was, I knew what I liked, right? Yeah. Wonder Woman or whatever. Right, yeah. And... Uh, and if and if I had the opportunity, I would have looked for porn mm-hmm. in, involving that. Instead, I had to put up with well, put up. Yeah. In, instead, I, like I would stumble upon a porn magazine when I was like thirteen yeah. that had a woman who was you know in a, in some position of power mm-hmm. in the you know in in the in the magazine in penthouse mm-hmm. or whatever like that. And then that would be my obsession. Right. You know, the only thing I had to like, yeah. it's kind of similar. Similar. Like, yeah. Look, she's technically in charge. Yeah. And so. Now you know they're like oh and 
let's tie Wonder Woman tying up guys. You know, yeah. and then right there, you've got it. Yeah. So they, they maybe are exposed to it earlier, and therefore uh, have uh, you know knowledge of themselves a lot yeah. earlier now. Well, I think I think people are also much more comfortable with their sexuality. I think both men and women, because that, that's one of the things that we're seeing now with the trends is like a lot of the young slaves are like back in you know back in the day when people came in, uh, especially for something like scat. You know, there would be a lot of shame involved with mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, just just self loathing and just shame. And now it's like, I would like you to shit on me. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, could you shit on me? And it right, uh, right. yeah, right. completely okay with themselves. Right, you know? right. It's just like, you know, it's interesting. You so know? is it, it, is it because back. they can go online and t- chat with other people who are like yes. them? And Yeah. So, I mean, uh, so that's like the plus, you know. So when, even though there, there was this golden age, which was, you know, because shame is sexy. That's you know, my question. Uh, are, are, do you long for the days when people were, were ashamed to ask? Uh, not if it means I have to be in fear for my life all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Good <laughs> point. Know? Good point. Um, so, yeah. I mean, a lot. You know, I, uh, you know I, do I miss the mystique? And I think that, uh, yes. Uh, do I think that uh, dominoes were more appreciated and sort of adored and, you know, put on pedestals? Yes. I related to the transition between silent movies and talkies. They didn't hear our voice before, and we didn't hear theirs. Yeah. And um, then when the talkies came in, suddenly you were going to hear these actor and actresses' voices, and if they didn't have a nice voice, they weren't going to make the transition. Yeah, of course, yeah. And that's what the internet is. Yeah. Um, they, you know, because, uh, you know, like when I, when it was still print advertising, I probably spent like, in my heyday, maybe $7,000 a month on print ads. And I always say to this day, I, I would be happily pay that again yeah. instead of the social media because that's what it is now. now. There's nowhere to advertise now. It's all social media. Yeah. And with social media, they want to hear your authentic voice. They, they, they don't want a slick ad. You know, It can't be just you promoting. They want to sort of really see who you are. Yeah. So you can't hire someone else to do it effectively. I mean, I, I guess maybe people do. I don't think you can. I'm sure someone... I mean, it would have to be someone who's an expert in the field. So you'd right. have to have someone. You'd have to have someone who was in an accident and in a body cast or something right. like that, and who's a who's a, a former pro right. who can. Okay, well, what's your what's your style? Okay, yeah. fine, I'll, I'll, I can do that for you. Yeah. you know? But it's, it would be very specific. Yeah, and it's time consuming. I mean, I have to spend you know sometimes you know one, two, three hours a day just doing all that. I would much rather just give a bunch of people a lot of money and take out some ads. <laughs> right. But do you done with it? Do you find because it has your own voice, uh-huh. and because now your clients are gonna, the, the people who contact you are going to be attracted to that voice mm-hmm. because they they read it or mm-hmm. you know. Uh, do you find the the clients that come to you now are more in tune to your style because of that, or are you no. like no, no? Because um, I, I think I, I mean when you look at most uh, effective marketing, it's a picture and just a couple of words. Yeah, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. Yeah. Although I think it's we're heading more back towards that with sites like Tumblr. Uh, I find Tumblr very similar to print ads. Because you, you're basically, you know, because you see like p- people make their own memes, yeah. basically, which is a picture, just a couple of words, you know, and that's just exactly like print advertising. So I think it is going back in that direction. I think it, it's the same problem that celebrities have. You know, you couldn't tweet with a celebrity years ago. Yeah, you, yeah. They said they were on pedestals and they were, you know, sure. glamorous. And now they're not and so glamorous. This is a whole other world. Yeah. You now know, you can not... tell. Now you can tell. 
X, Y, and Z person, hey, I love your movies, or man, you really suck. So, yeah, um, you can like tell them to piss off. You're just as, yeah, just the same as, as they are. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, so I, yeah, sure, I miss that mystique and that glamour. It's also, it, it also destroyed the dungeon system because it used to be that you would start in a dungeon and then, if in order to become an independent mistress, you had to rent a space. Yeah. You had to buy all the equipment. I mean, it was an investment. You yeah, had yeah. to have like ten, twenty thousand dollars. You couldn't just, you know, um, there was no dungeon rent. You had to be serious, and you had to want it, right? Yeah. So, and, and in a way, the ones that did that were of a higher caliber because they had sort of gone through the process. And I, I related to the studio process of the, of, you know, and I used to, you know, and the major dungeons did. We would make these superstar doms. You know, we would, you know, take them in, teach them how to do makeup, teach them how to do their wardrobe. You know, teach them how to wield the whip, you know, cultivate their image and, you know, just, I mean, really, you know, um, make stars out of them. And, uh, you know, that's kind of over now. I mean, it can still be done. I still do it. But will it ever be like that? No. But then if you look uh, when independent film started, like in the late 60s, early 70s, you wouldn't have had Easy Rider. You wouldn't have had, you know, so it's just different. And I think at the end of the day, you either adapt and change with the times or you don't. And that's it. Uh, on your Tumblr, uh, it's actually called Ask Mistress Terry Indiana. Yes. And I'm curious about the questions you get. Do you find a common thread in the type of questions you get? Is it uh, or is it pretty much run the gambit? It runs the gambit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the typical questions that you get, um, I think any mistress gets on their blog yeah. that are typical or. Oh, well, how much is it for a session? Yeah, or yeah. will you do this? Or do you think this is gross? Or you know, just like that kind of stuff, um, which is sort of your everyday yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, when it's really satisfying is, I mean, because um, is when you can help someone um, come out or deal with their family or figure out how to communicate with loved ones mm-hmm. in a safe way. Um, and impart impart some inf- or you know you know because so many you know it's it's still really hard uh, if you're in fetish uh, in, the, in the lifestyle to meet a significant other. It's I mean it's still underground. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know so you know so a, a very typical question that I would enjoy would be you know I, I'm submissive and I'd like to meet a, a dominant woman and you know what's the best way to go about that you know. Well, that's the eternal question, yeah. right? What do you tell people now when people ask that question? Well. Um, because uh, a, lo- a, a lot of times uh, someone will already be dating uh, someone in their vanilla life. Yeah. That's like that's actually the common scenario, you know. Um, although I mean, because if you found your way to the, the fetish clubs, then you've already sort of you're at least crossed the yeah. You've right. at least crossed the Rubicon, you know. Right. And then you'll at least know, okay, these are the type of people I'm dealing with. Yeah. Am I interested in going further and in, you know trying to stay in this pool to see if I'm gonna see it through but you're saying if someone's already in a relationship yeah I, I tell them you know if, if you're dating someone uh, you know maybe just talk about the idea that you really like a take charge woman yeah. a woman that really knows what she wants and how does she react yeah. does she take that as a compliment does it make her more aggressive yeah. you know um, uh, you know and start off with those kind of concepts you know that you're you know that you're really attracted to her independence you're really attracted to you know how self-assured she is how she you know, you know compliment her on like those kinds of things and see how she reacts, and then maybe, 
try something a little small, not too, you know, you don't feed me to babies, you know. <laughs> right. uh, you know, you could do what happened to me. I mean, when you're in your lovemaking, suck on her toes, see what happens. Right. How does she react, you right. know? Um, is she kicking you in the face? Right, or, or, or know, does right. she like it? Right, you know, so I mean, you can do little things like, and then gradually, gradually open up and, you know, with more of your fetishes and stuff like and that. And I find too, because I get this question quite a bit, and, and uh, I find too that if you just are honest with the person, even if it's in a small amount, mm-hmm. right? Or even if you start off with hints, so they're kind of like the, the, mm-hmm. you plant the seed. Yeah. Um, but I, I had someone who, this was years ago, someone emailed me asking, you know, and, and again, I was a single guy at the time. I was like, buddy, if you find out, let me know. Let me know, But yeah. I told him, I said, one thing, you know, I'm trying is I'm trying to be out there in the scene, but you found this person kind of like hint or, mm-hmm. or drop some hints or maybe just kind of, you can, there are these uh, tests you can take online where mm-hmm. couples can check the things they're interested in, mm-hmm. right? And what the, they found out, now his biggest problem is, he emailed me a while back just to give me an update, mm-hmm. now his biggest problem is that he found that she's a switch. And mm-hmm. so now his biggest problem is, some, is how does he dom whenever mm-hmm. he has to be on that other side of things. Yeah. But he says it's a good problem to have. Yeah, that's you know, a better problem. Right. Yeah. And he finds that there's like a one-up machine. So mm-hmm. he'll be like, if he does X, then she'll do X plus one yeah. next time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something else, by because I, I get a lot of questions from people uh Asking for topics, yeah, and I was brought. And this is a topic that I've discussed very little of. Mm-hmm. And when I was scrolling, and I know very, I know know almost nothing about mm-hmm. this topic. But I was scrolling through your, your blog, and I noticed you mentioned cuckolding a number yes. of times. Yeah. Uh, is this like is this a big thing for you? Yes. Is this what is it? The, what is the attraction? Well, let, let's talk about what is the attraction for you, and then we'll ask what the, the attraction for the, the cuckold. Yeah, because I don't, I can't identify with either yeah um for me it's the infliction of emotional pain i mean because physical pain like if you whip someone or cane them or even if you broke their bone um which i'm, I'm not endorsing don't take that away but you know when the mark has gone away you know when you can take an x-ray and see when the bone is healed like the old phrase but, sticks and stones might break your bones but yeah. words cause permanent damage exactly right okay. but you know emotional pain that creates scars in somebody's mind and heart sure you know, and there's, it's just another level of cruelty to me. So, I mean, that's the primary thing. And the secondary thing is that I'm polyandrous. Um, so, which I, which was a term I just learned about a year ago. I thought I was polygamous. I'm not. I'm polyandrous, right. which is slightly different. And let's talk about the other, the flip side of that. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, you're, it's going to be hard to find someone who's like, yeah, I definitely want you to emotionally scar me mm-hmm. all the time. You have to find someone who obviously enjoys that as well, right? Well... Or do they just not throw for themselves? me? No, it's not hard. Well, it's not that it's not hard. It's that I don't. I, I, I my kind of cuckolding is a little tricky because um, I'm not into the bisexuality aspect of it. I yeah. don't want uh, my slave uh, to suck the cock of my lover. That doesn't. I'm not. Right. I, I don't know why I'm bisexual, so it shouldn't bother me. But for some reason, it's just not my thing. Thanks, you know, yeah. Um, so, so I'm not into that, you know, because I know with cuckolding, a lot of it is, you know, there there are a lot of people who like the fantasy of like fluffing the guy for the girl and eating the mistress out after. I'm not into that. Yeah. Um, that's fine, you know, but that's just not my deal. Sure. Um, but I do like scenes where uh, the slave is tied up and forced to watch me have sex with another man or listen or under the bed or in the closet. And I did that when I, I used to do that right from the beginning. Um, like when I was 22, um, I would uh, put my domestic slaves, I would just tie them up and lock them in the closet. Well, first they would help me get ready for a date. 
you know, so they would, uh, you know, they would bathe me and lotion my legs and sure. perfume me and brush my hair. And, you know, then I'd go out with a real man, you know, <laughs> and they'd be locked in the cl- tied up. But I, it was really, f- I'm fucked up. Because uh, <laughs> I didn't tell either one of them that that was what was going to happen. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, like the slave sort of knew something bad was going to happen yeah, to him yeah. because he was tied up and locked in the closet or under the bed. But the men, the, when I would bring a man home, like he didn't know that I had a guy under the bed or in the closet, and I got off on that. And that took it to of course a whole the, the other submissive level. knew what was going on. Yes, the and, was, and, and he was gagged, and there was nothing he could do about it. Wow. Yeah. So that uh, was my headspace, and then I read Venus and Furs, and I was like, oh, okay. And I guarantee there are people who I'm sure are messaging you have that very specific kink. Yeah. Because I guarantee there's there's someone listening who. Who's has a partner who mm-hmm. wants to be a cuckold mm-hmm. and wants to get into their mind? Yeah. What is the appeal for them? Oh, for them, uh, generally speaking, or in terms of who I like to play with. Well, so for, if someone's listening and because and, for me, I don't want I, I don't want to join a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> right, right. But <laughs> but know? but so I guarantee there's someone listening right now who is listening because. Her husband or partner came to her and mm-hmm. said, listen, I really want to be a cuckold. Mm-hmm. And she's like trying to wrap her head around this. Like, why? Mm-hmm. What is the motivation? How do, how do I get behind this? Mm-hmm. What do you say to her? Okay. Well, for, for the male, for a typical cuck, um, there's actually a genetic component. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there are biological reasons why uh, men desire to compete with other men for the female. Um, like, there have been the studies that show that, like... Um, if uh, a woman uh, a woman is more likely to get pregnant when she's cheating on her husband, mm-hmm. um, that if a woman has sex with a first partner and then a second partner, the second partner's sperm is like more aggressive or something and kills the first sperm, or so there's this you know there's this sort of primal urge uh, for this competition. Men uh, really uh, enjoy uh, competing with women, I mean with other men for the affection or attention. Of women, mm-hmm. and I mean, you can see this in all kinds of situations. Like a lot of women make mistakes. Just like if you're talking of vanilla dating, like because I've always, I'm I'm a reformed player. Like be- be- before I realized I was poly, I was just a player. Right, I mean, right. that was just what I did. I just right. played them, you know. Um, so now I I'm, I I'm more open about it. But um, when I would coach my girlfriends about like you know why I was so successful with men, I, you know I would say when we go out, if they were interested in a guy, they wouldn't talk to other guys. They would just like separate them, you know, so that they could show that they were available. And yeah. I was like, no, you want to flirt with all of the guys. Yeah. You want to flirt with because men are terrified of approaching women. I mean, that's like that's the hardest thing for men. It's it is just yeah. it's just the fear of rejection. You know, so anything that you can do to make it seem easier to because when you're talking to a bunch of guys, you seem actually more approachable. And they feel less intimidated. They're more likely to come up to you. So you, you don't want to just flirt with that particular guy. You want to flirt with all the guys around him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it works on a couple of different levels um, because it makes, you, it makes you seem more approachable. But uh, men also have this like, biological need to compete with other men for the best female. Um, so I think that's the primal aspect of it. And then I think there are environmental factors. You know, whatever happened in their childhood, sure. you know, whatever... You know, um, but I mean, um, you have to, as a, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't think you should do any fetishes you don't enjoy generally, but I especially don't think 
that you should engage in that kind of play or I consider that an edge play. You know, even though there's no, you know, physical apparent damage, yeah. really fuck with somebody. Sure, you absolutely. Know? Um, so I really, I, and same thing for the woman. I really don't think you should do that if 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 there's not something about it that you like. Um, it's just it's going to end badly. Yeah, you know, you got to find some some avenue to make it your own. To- yeah, for you to get off on it, or else, it's, or else you're just doing it for the other person. Yeah, and, and then that's never it's, that's not going to make them happy. It's, just, it's yeah. not going to make you happy. It's going to be resentful. You know, yeah. sure. Um, um, I'm so excited for this book. I, I, I can't imagine just by the stuff I've read so far, and mm-hmm. I think I've only read three excerpts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called "Everybody's Secret: Confessions of the World's Greatest Dominatrix and How the Sex Business Saved My Life or Saved My Soul." soul. Saved my soul. Yeah, I mean. I hope after the book comes out, maybe you'll be able to really come to, back and yeah. talk about it again. Because yeah. there's got to be some stories. I mean, if this is, these are the stories that we hear just when you're riffing. I can't yeah. imagine what happens when you're sitting there focused on it. That's got to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But thank you so much for doing this. I yeah, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. I really, um, I'm glad that we uh, that I finally met you. Yeah, just, and uh, congratulations on 20 years too. Thank you. By the way, that's great. Thank you. Thank you, Tara for not mugging me and for sitting down with me. And uh, all of her links, follow her on Twitter, Tara Indiana. She's on Tumblr, Facebook, all over. You got videos. All of that stuff is on massacast.com. You can click on this episode. Or if, if you're listening to this far into the future, you can do a search. Tara Indiana. We'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.